I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus to to come with your spirit to anoint his mind and his heart to anoint our minds and our hearts with your spirit. Father, we say that your son is worthy of great glory and great honor. Lord, we pray that the fruit of this seminar today, every session would be that Jesus is exalted, that Jesus is glorified, that Jesus is lifted high, that we come to have a deeper love and appreciation, deeper thanksgiving for all that you did when you sent your son to the cross, when you raised him from the dead on the third day. Father, I thank you for what you've put in, uh, in John's heart. I thank you, Jesus, for the things you've been doing in his life over the years. And Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask you to strengthen and establish him, Lord Jesus, as he labors today, as he speaks your word. Lord, we thank you for bringing him here today. Lord, I pray that your blessing would rest on him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tim. We're going to talk through uh, biblical theology today. And uh, some of the things that make up uh, theology and, and uh, what the uh, scriptures uh, describe as, as truth. And so I wanted to start out before we kind of dive into the nuts, of, nuts and bolts about what the scripture lays out as, as who God is and what salvation is and where, what, how redemptive history is unfolding. I just wanted to work through kind of the biblical nature of truth. Because generally whenever you get into discussions on truth, and as, I, as I've looked over my walk in the Lord for the last 15 years, it always ends up coming down to a truth game. And, uh, and so the scriptures, most people when you talk about truth, it, uh, it usually gets relegated to just truth of mind and truth of understanding, uh, which is definitely a large element of truth. But uh, the... The scriptures describe not only truth of mind, but also truth of heart, which is ultimately what the Lord judges when we stand before Him. And out of a place of, of the inward ambitions and motivations and desires of the heart, then that's really what drives human beings and, uh, and pushes human beings to make decisions and have direction in life. And then out of that, truth of heart leads to truth of mind because you want to, uh, you want to understand what, what you've committed to at a heart level. And then the scripture also describes truth of lifestyle uh, or deed or uh, in which you walk according to the truth and you live according to the truth. You live what you believe. You walk out what you believe. And ultimately, uh, scriptures describe where we are judged according to our deeds, but ultimately it's not just our deeds, but the motivation of the heart in which the deeds are done. Because all of our deeds become as filthy rags if they're not uh, done out of, the, uh, out of a right heart. So, uh, Psalm 51, if you look under uh, the technical terms for uh, 
for these three things are orthocardia, or right heart, orthodoxy, right doctrine, right belief, and orthopraxis, right practice. And so uh, uh, I just put down a few scriptures to kind of illustrate uh, the point. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You do not delight in sacrifice or I bring you. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, the outward practice, unless they're done from a right heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, which is what the sacrifices are meant to uh, express. O oh God, you won't despise. Psalm 147, the Lord sustains the humble of heart, but casts the wicked to the ground, those who are puffed up in pride in their inner man, and then relate to others in context to that. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And so you have the, this is why the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, because it really is when we stand before God and we give an account for our lives, it really will be uh, the inner things inside of our hearts that, that uh, drive us day in and day out that uh, the Lord will expose. Isaiah 66, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. Or whoever does the right thing outwardly, but inwardly he's full of anger and, uh, and hate. Who offers a lamb, makes a grain offering, burns memorial in- incense. They have chosen their own way. Their souls delight in their abominations. And so outwardly they do the right things, but inwardly uh, it's not true. Mark 7 Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it's written, these people honor me with their lips. So they speak the right thing, they say the right thing as far as theology, but their hearts are far from me. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. From within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, etc., so, out of the place of the heart, really men do craft their what they believe to validate and, uh, and to, uh, to soothe their conscience, uh, generally. And so, regardless of what the scriptures say, they, they, they craft what they believe in such a way to validate what they want to do in life. And... Uh, <clears throat> And so, orthodoxy, truth of mind, page 2. First Timothy 1, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. So the two things he's talking about are the, the Gnostic myths and the, the, uh, the uh, Judaizing self-righteousness. These promote controversies rather than the work of God, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, 
which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so the, the purpose for a right theology is to curb and lead men on a narrow path of rightness inwardly and trueness of heart, that they stand before God without spot or blame. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. If, uh, and then later on in First Timothy, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And so it really is, uh, it's not an issue of perfect doctrine or having an exactly right understanding. It's a matter of sound instruction in which you uh, understand the Scripture simply and it leads you to repent of all wickedness at a heart level and walk in righteousness inwardly and walk that out uh, outwardly. And so... Um, and so this really is, if you, if, you're, if you study church history, the history of the perversion of truth theologically really is always in accord with wicked men who have wicked desires, who want money and power, who end up adopting uh, 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 falsehood theologically to validate their desire to... Uh, uh, to dominate men and, and uh, aggregate wealth. And so, uh, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called when you made your, uh, your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame. And so, preach the word teach, uh, uh, walk in righteousness, all of this with, uh, uh, without spot or blame, meaning you do everything as unto the Lord and uh, with a humble and contrite spirit that fears uh, the day of the Lord until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and so then third, orthopraxy is truth of lifestyle uh, or truth of deed. You can think of it truth of heart, truth of mind, and truth of hand. And uh, most people really, you know, you kind of have the cliche that you're trying to get, you know, what's in your head down in your heart, and that's really not the way it works with human beings. The reality is, is what is in the heart level is what drives what's in their mind, and and they will not they will not turn from falsehood up here because you have down here, and and because they really want to do X, Y, and Z, and so you can hold conferences and seminars and do classes on you know right theology and what is the gospel and right praxis and mission strategies, church planning, whatever, whatever, and. Uh, and the reality is, is men won't listen to it uh, unless you deal with the 
issues and the desires of the heart. So, um, so truth of lifestyle, Psalm 26, test me, O Lord, and try me, examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. So, examine what's on the inside, examine what, how I, what I'm believing, and, uh, and examine how I'm living that out and walking according to what I believe. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. Uh, Third John, uh, John, it gave me great joy to have some of your brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. And then... uh, Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved you, gave himself up for you as a fragrant uh, offering, sacrifice. You were once in darkness, but now you're, you're a light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And so it's not, again, it's not a matter of perfection, in rightness, it's a matter of a pure heart that uh, that uh, does things uh, out not out of selfish ambition or greed or vanity, but out of self-sacrifice and love and humility and contriteness of heart, established in a sound instruction and a sound theology that calls men that this is the standard by which they're going to be judged on the day of the Lord, and then a, a faithfulness of lifestyle to walk out the love of God and express the love of God. Because uh, men, will, men will walk according to whatever standard they believe they'll be judged. And so, what? well, anyway, so page 3 the, the chief enemy of, of truth is hypocrisy. And so uh, hypocrisy is generally, um, at a heart level, it's misunderstood, and it's misunderstood when I've heard it taught about. Um, the baseline of hypocrisy is that ultimately God judges the heart. And so... Whatever you believe the day of the Lord to look like and however you believe that to play out, regardless of that, the issue is when we stand before God and give an account for our lives, what are we ultimately going to be judged for? And, uh, and so, like First Samuel 16, the Lord doesn't look outwardly at the appearances of men like we do. We look at men's ability to, you know, his charisma, his his personality, his force of whatever uh, in speaking or in networking or in power and money. These are the things we generally uh, evaluate men on. And, and it's how we live together in community. It's generally what shapes most everything. But uh, the Lord ultimately looks at the heart. And it will be at the day of the Lord that the Lord will expose the motives of men's hearts, like Paul says in First uh, Corinthians 4. And then Luke 16, Jesus gives the parable of the uh, shrewd manager, and he says, you know, the, the, the shrewd manager knows the day of judgment's coming. He's going to have to give an account. 
uh, for his life or for his dealings, and therefore he uses his money and his power to love people. And so that after the day of judgment, he'll have friends in the age to come. And he says, you know, the children of light are not nearly the children who are going to inherit eternal life and who shouldn't care about this age and money and power are not nearly as shrewd about using their money and power to love people as, as the world is. And so he's, he's making a cut at the Pharisees, which is generally... The majority, the vast majority of Jesus' teachings is a rebuke and cut at the Pharisees. And so to understand the Pharisees is uh, a clear... uh, It's really helpful to keep yourself on a narrow path so that uh, you know you're going to stand before God rightly. And so... um, And so... He's talking about the Pharisees who, who don't use their money and power to love people. They use it uh, for themselves. And so he says, to conclude that bit on the parable of the shrewd manager, he says, no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money because either you'll serve money and you'll use people accordingly and you won't love them, or you'll serve people and you'll use money to bless people. There's not, you can't, you, you can't go both ways. So the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. And this really is, I mean, this happens uh, a thousand times over, and, and regardless really of what stream or denomination you're in, this happens so much and so often, the justification of uh, of money and reputation, um, and we don't ever deal with the issues of the heart or call them out, but when you read through the epistles, almost every single one of the epistles has a direct confrontation between Paul and false brothers, false teachers, false apostles, trying to deal with those within the church who are who say the right things and preach the right things or don't preach the right things or whatever, whatever, but it's out of a, uh, the falsehood ultimately is at a heart level. So the Pharisees, to understand the Pharisees, uh, you, you, you have to understand that the Pharisees had right theology and they had right praxis, right lifestyle. And uh, and this is part of what the, this theology seminar will do is to show what the right theology is in order to gird you to walk in righteousness. And uh, because the theology has been perverted, most people don't believe the Pharisees had right theology. They had dead-on theology. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, like Paul says in Acts 24... I believe everything that agrees uh, with the law and what's written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And so Paul just reaches over and slaps the Pharisees in the face, and that because that's what he's saying. I believe the same thing as these guys. I just seek to keep my conscience clear and walk with a right heart. These men are driven by all sorts of wicked ambitions. And so they have the same theology, and likewise they have the, the 
a right praxis and lifestyle, which is fairly radical, uh, unlike the wor world. The prayer, the fasting, the giving to the poor, the acts of righteousness, etc. So like Luke 18, the issue is, is what is the motivation of the heart that they're doing these things out of? That they are doing it, uh, they are confident in their own righteousness, they're there's no contriteness or brokenness of heart. There's no humility. There's no love. There's no self-sacrifice. Everything is done for men to see. Everything is done for themselves. All the sacrifice is not of self, but for self. So, uh, confident in their own righteousness, they look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. <clears throat> Two men went up to the temple to pray. And the verse before this, the context before this, is the... Uh, parable of the of the uh, widow with the unjust judge which concludes with the putting the point is putting your hope in the justice of the day of the Lord and the unjust judge waits out of unrighteousness but the Lord waits out of righteousness and kindness to execute the day of the Lord and so we ought always to pray and never give up on the day of the Lord but when the Son of Man comes will he find faith on the earth and then he moves into this parable. And so, uh, and so the implication is when the Son of Man comes, he'll judge the heart. And again, another knock at the Pharisees because uh, of the question that's asked before this. But we'll hit that later. So he says, uh, which this is what he's saying, when the Son of Man comes and he judges uh, men and women, this is what he'll look at. Confident in their own righteousness, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, relating to when the Son of Man comes and judges men. For everyone who exalts himself in this age will be humbled at the day of the Lord. And whoever humbles himself in this age will be exalted at the day of the Lord. And so this really is how I have come to, when I relate to human beings around me, It I... I really could care less about how radical your your lifestyle is, how amazing your theology is. I, I really want to. I'm trying to evaluate what is going on in your heart and what is driving your life in the equation. Because you you, you give me a man who is. Because uh, this, is, this is how I was. I, I wasn't ever raised in a church. I was raised in complete darkness uh, in an uh, underground house in a hippie community and never heard the Bible. Nothing came to the Lord in college after a bad LSD trip and a break with reality for about three months. And the Lord just encountered me and... and, uh, and a number of miracles happened and, and I was... I uh, came to the Lord, but I still had all kinds of issues that I brought into the equation. And so, so I understand kind of the process of, 
of repenting of myself and coming to the end of myself and surrendering to the Lord and being filled with the Holy Spirit and then trying to you know figure out what I said yes to along the way and and going through many seasons of confusion and and uh, and the like and so I can I can talk to any man who you know he's he's new believer he just he's surrendered in fear and trembling to the Lord he wants to relate to other human beings in the same way that they relate to the Lord in that way that they stand before the Lord in in cleanness and their theology's messed up they don't have it all worked out and their lifestyle's still messed up and they have all kinds of addictions and whatever i can fellowship with that man but give me a man who he has a perfect theology and he's awesome and radical but he wants to use me as a tool for his own ministry and glory and whatever whatever and he has no fear of god in his heart and and uh that guy I don't want to have anything to do with. And so, so this is, uh, I just keep thinking, of, I, I had, uh, last week, I, I, had, uh, I had dinner with um, Joel Richardson, you know, the guy who wrote Antichrist, Islam's Away and Messiah, and he and his wife came over and, and their kids and, and we're sitting there talking about our lives, and and uh, and we got in this conversation about how people relate to us strangely because we're we're kind of the revelatory guys, and we got you know this amazing understanding and whatever, whatever, and and so Joel's wife says, yeah, you know, I I I really don't care. You know, I hear about all this, and and I'm like, I, I really don't care how awesome your theology is if you don't help me with the laundry and i'm just sitting there going unbelievable the whole conversation is like he was they were repeating my wife and i's strange little story and so there really is like when it's it's uh it's a it's a barometer of those closest to you know uh what's actually going on in your heart um so, hypocrisy in the pharisaical spirit. Luke 12, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. There's nothing concealed in the heart that won't be disclosed on the day of the Lord, or hidden that will not be made known. And so this is the issue of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And generally we interpret hypocrisy as I screwed up again and and I really want to get it right, but I just can't get it right. I'm such a hypocrite. And that's exactly wrong. It's That's right inwardly and wrong outwardly. Hypocrisy is the exact opposite. It's right outwardly and wrong inwardly. It's awesome on the outside but it's ugly on the inside it's a it's a presentation and a mask a facade of beauty and awesomeness outwardly but on the inside it's not uh, that's not really what's going on and so this is really what causes the most damage 
to human beings is when it's awesome on the outside and it's right outwardly, but it's wrong inwardly because it ought to be that it's right inwardly and it moves right outwardly. You know, we, we ought to live, and but uh, it's just kind of the condition of the human heart in, in this age that uh, human beings are we're tricky like that. And so, uh, so, like the Pharisees, I tell you, this is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, and really the whole Sermon on the Mount, every major discourse uh, except maybe... Matthew 24 and 25 is, but you could definitely interpret those, the, the foolish virgins and the, and the, the goats, etc., as the Pharisees. But every other one is clearly a, uh, a, uh, a contrast against the Pharisees, which is really what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. So he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law... You certainly will not enter the kingdom of God. You've heard it said. You've heard it said by the Pharisees, according to the law, "Do not murder. If anyone murders, he'll be subject to judgment." But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment at the day of the Lord. And then he goes on to the adultery. That and his point is not that he's doing some sort of new reinterpretation of the law. He's simply saying. If you read the law and it told you not to kill people, then why are you so angry that you might as well kill people inwardly? It told you not to commit adultery, but why do you lust inwardly? I mean, it's it's simply uh, a right relating. And so, so he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, your, your outward righteousness. To be seen by them, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven at the day of the Lord. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with, trumpet, with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full in this age. And when you pray, do, me, do not be like the hypocrites to be seen by men. And... Uh, and so then he, he's talking about why do you judge your, your neighbor and you look down on and condescend towards everybody. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And his, his point in that is that you, you correct a brother on particulars of praxis and lifestyle according to the Sabbath or whatever, but the plank is the unrighteousness inwardly of your heart. Let me fix something, some minor detail outwardly, while all the while you're full of wicked ambition and self-righteousness and vainglory inwardly. So uh, then Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, dill, uh, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more uh, impo- important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You, you do the right things outwardly, but you don't have the right things inwardly. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, which is the outward, but you swallow a camel, which is unrighteousness inwardly. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence or selfishness. The, the issue wasn't that they just ate too much or whatever. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about. The self-indulgence is that you do everything for yourself and to be honored by men, to, to get more power, etc. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean, because that's how the equation's supposed to go. There's supposed to be truth inside, and then that leads to truth outside. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so I hear a lot of people talk about the Pharisees and the, the, what's going on with the Pharisees is like a spirit of religion or whatever. And, uh, and it's always said that the Pharisees just hated the things of the Spirit, and that's not the case. The, the Pharisees loved the things of the Spirit. They cast out demons, clearly, in, in Matthew 12 and in Acts 19. And when you cast out a demon, people get healed, and they prophesied. And so the question wasn't what they did these things, if they did these things, uh, the the issue is that they uh, did them out of an unrighteous desire and ambition, like Simon the sorcerer, in which here's some money, give me money, so that when I lay my hands on people, the Spirit will do such and such, and men will honor me. And so, uh, so this is Matthew uh, seven. The issue of the Pharisees is the issue of hypocrisy. Watch out for false prophets, and so he's he's referring to uh, in that in his context the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They come to you in sheep's clothing, outwardly good, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They consume people. By their fruit you will recognize them. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's not the fruit of of uh, of lifestyle or theology, though those are important, it's the fruit of the heart that that uh, is what the Lord is judging here. He says, "Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them." Because in the context of the false prophets and the ravenous wolves, he's quoting from Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 13. In both of those, the false prophets do everything for their own gain. And they don't turn people to and disciple people unto the day of the Lord in fear and trembling. They disciple people unto themselves for their own gain and honor. And so uh, so he says, Not everyone, referring to the false prophets and the Pharisees, who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? So the issue, Jesus, is, Jesus isn't condemning the Holy Spirit, he, obviously. He's saying there's going to be a lot of people who even had the outward fruit of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders. But inwardly, they're still ferocious wolves. He says, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, which is what he says in the, to the false prophets in Jeremiah 22. 
Is this not what it means to know the Lord, to show compassion to the oppressed, to look after the widow and the orphan, etc.? And so the fruit, this is exactly what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. He's simply saying the exact same thing, trying to guard the Corinthian church from being thrown into a lake of fire. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, if I'm right outwardly, but I don't have truth and righteousness inwardly of humility, self-sacrifice, and love, and alignment with the character and nature of God, then I am nothing. I'll be thrown into like a fire when on the day of the Lord. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mystery and knowledge, have faith to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my, body's, my body to the flames and martyrdom, but don't have love, I have nothing on the day of the Lord. It's like the I have nothing is equivalent to I never knew you being declared over your life. And so all of these things are great reward before the Lord if they're done out of truth inwardly and righteousness. Um, Love is patient, love's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. This is the fruit of... of, uh, uh, A humble and contrite heart. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Love never fails. His failing here is in context to the day of the Lord. Love endures forever uh, into the age to come. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And so the activity of the Holy Spirit, these things, these particular activities will cease at the day of the Lord and won't carry over into the age to come. Um, Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes at the day of the Lord, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So he's referring to... This is how we function in this age, and God is helping us like kids with gifts of the Holy Spirit and walking in these things. At the day of the Lord, these things will pass away, and we will be raised up in the resurrection and walk in the fullness of maturity and, and uh, as we were created to be. But if we do these things as kids and we, we receive these gifts from God, but we do it out of a wrong heart we will be uh, declared false at the day of the Lord. And so this is what, whenever, whenever the Holy Spirit begins to touch people with a hypocritical spirit, you'll always start to get this confessing of how, of how uh, you know, awesome they were outwardly, but inwardly they were cold and dry, and, and they didn't have the love of God for the Lord or for others, and they lived in and envy and jealousy and 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 competition and etc etc and so um, so I just wanted to lay that as a a foundation before we really start to talk about orthodoxy and right theology that all, all of it is utter vanity if it doesn't result and lead you to repentance and rightness of heart and walking before the Lord in fear and trembling and walking before others that way. 
and uh, relating to, to each other in light of that. And as we, as we start to work through the theology class, you'll start to see that, that the cross really is the standard of truth at, at every level. And the only way you keep yourself in a place of truth is by a steady gaze uh, on the cross. And the cross really embodies rightness. It embodies rightness of heart and self-sacrifice and humility and love. And it's the only place that our hearts find rest and a place that we can model our hearts after and we can receive the love and mercy of God and righteousness, and therefore we can relate rightly to others. And outside of the cross is the anchor for a right heart and a pattern for it. We end up setting up uh, false standards and false ambitions that then we relate to others out of, and we uh, push that on others. And then out of that, the cross is the anchor of right theology, and that when you talk about who God is, God is a God of the cross. And you can have all the particulars and the mechanics right about doctrine and theology and have a perfect systematic theology, but if you don't have a God of mercy and love and kindness that expresses himself fully in the cross and that redemptive history as a whole is defined by the cross, that God is restraining from the day of the Lord because of his love for sinners in their wickedness and for your own self, then you end up drifting away and you end up drifting away from sound instruction and exalting particular theologies, this you know, little doctrine, this little revelation as of prime importance or of whatever, whatever. And then out of that, you live according to the pattern of, of the cross, and you live a lifestyle of love that embodies and demonstrates the love of God uh, expressed in the cross. So we just present ourselves before you, God, as, uh, as we are in light of the cross, the greatest of sinners, and uh, that every man and woman is of utter depravity, and we understand that, God. And we are grateful to you for your mercy towards us. We ask you, God, that you would establish us in righteousness and the pattern of your Son in humility and love, a true seed and a true grain of wheat that uh, loves not his life in this age, but walks according to truth and righteousness and love. I ask you that this... Uh, the rest of the teaching today, God, would be in that spirit and, uh, and in that posture of heart, God, and that Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would confirm the truth to us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that for each person in this room, that you would do something to confirm the truth uh, in our hearts in whatever way that you would work in miracles and signs and wonders to confirm the truth and the message of the cross, God. We love you in Jesus' name.